welcome to the Innovating Purpose podcast, where I'm striving to live intentionally and seeking clarity for new and young readers. Good morning, Newburgh Friends Church. Would you pray with me as we go into our time of reading from God's Word? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather here together in this space. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us in the midst of whatever we're going through. You remain unchanged. You remain faithful and good. And this morning, as we talk about this grand adventure that Saul goes through, help us to pay attention as we reflect on our own lives and we maybe see things that are similar and struggles that we may be going through, help us to understand um, that there are warning signs from you, God. So I pray that you'd open our ears, you'd help our minds to understand, and we'd be ready to be changed, ready to serve. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, We thank you for this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to ask a question that I think is pretty common for each one of us. Who woke you up in the morning when you were a child, and how did they do it? I know my father would appreciate this, and I also want to pause for just a moment and say that today is my parents' anniversary, so happy anniversary I'm your favorite child. My dad would really love this story as we talk about getting woke up in the morning. As a teen, I was a typical kid. I always stayed up too late. I was either playing games or video games or watching movies or doing puzzles or doing something, and it took me up until midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And I remember not liking at all what that meant the next morning. But I think my dad really did like waking me up. I think he secretly did. He would come up into my room, and I lived in the upstairs, and I could sometimes hear him, but he was so quiet. He would come into my room, and unannounced, he would turn on every light. And his goal was to get me out of bed with the light turning on. But as a typical teen, I quickly threw the covers over my head. And you know, but in that moment, when I'd pull the covers over my head, I would get into a situation that I think was my dad's second favorite way of waking me up. You know, some people would get, you know, the little shake of, come on, wake up, son. Not my dad. He decided, because I had pulled the blanket up, that he would grab my big toe and he would shake my big toe. And if you've never been woken up by someone wiggling and shaking your toe, let me tell you, (laughs) I don't recommend it. But it did get me out of bed, and so I remember just hating that. And then after probably three or four times that my dad did this to me, I would hear him coming up, and I would be out of bed, standing there, definitely not awake, but I did not want to experience another toe situation. So it always makes me laugh to think about how he would wake me up. But spiritually speaking, there, is, there are things in our life that really awaken us that uh, wake us up in this world. 
And perhaps there was something that you can recall that emotionally or spiritually when you were awakened to an issue, perhaps it was seeing poverty for the first time. Perhaps it was seeing someone get bullied. Perhaps you were told about sin and what it meant to be known as a sinner, and you actually understood that you were a sinner. Or maybe someone was even as brash as to say, you're going to hell because they said, you are a sinner. And it really shocked you, and it, but it probably spiritually uh, made you wake up to the seriousness of the things you do and say. I don't know what it was like for you in that moment, but I pray that each of you, as you listen today, that you can respond and you can hear about these spiritual struggles that are happening in the midst of this story. I want to mention today of the spiritual breakthroughs that, that can happen in your life just as they did for those that we'll be reading about today. And for you, I, I, I imagine that God is trying to show you lessons that you still need to learn. Perhaps today will be an awakening for you to different things in your life that you hadn't paid attention to, or maybe you didn't care. It would delight me to know that something sticks with you today, that you're hearing something and you're, you're reminded of something, or maybe for the first time you make a decision to follow God or ask those tough questions of yourself. I would encourage you, whether you make a decision like this today, or perhaps you just want to engage and say, I loved the worship songs that we sang this week. I'm so blessed by uh, the real women's Bible study, or I've been so encouraged by the small group that just started. Whatever it may be that you want to tell us about, we would love to hear how you're doing. And I've even been thinking, what would it look like if you were just to report in to the church and saying, I'm reading this book and it is helping me develop as a follower of Jesus Christ. And let us know that so that we could possibly let others know. Here's some books that are recommended reads uh, in the midst of the season that we're all going through together. We just want you to know. We want you to check in. We want to know how you're doing. As we continue today and we get closer to the story, you might remember how this story has been going leading up to chapter uh, nine that we'll be in today of the book of Acts. You see, the good news was beginning to spread to even the Samaritans. You see, there was division that was already taking place between the Greek-speaking uh, believers and the Hebrew-speaking believers. We've seen now that uh, teachers and preachers were reaching further and further with the good news. Common people were being filled with the Holy Spirit and were being ministers as they fled, really, for their lives. But they were still proclaiming the good news. You see, the good news was spreading farther than the, typically it would have ever spread. It was getting past walls and divisions that had been put in place. What was beginning to happen, though, was that those that hated Christians, those that hated those who were following the way or those who followed Christ, they were, these people in opposition were even being so brave as to kill the communicators of the good news. 
Meanwhile, these law keepers, these religious elite, were growing further and further in their discontent, their hatred even of those that were following the way. I want you to pause in your own heart here and consider this. What would you do if you believed that these people were troublemakers, these people that were following this Jesus? Would you have a different reaction? Wouldn't you say to yourself, they need to be stopped. They're not following the law of Moses. This isn't tradition. This is going against what we believe to be true. Wouldn't you be riled up to think that someone was telling you that everything you had believed and your ancestors had believed had somehow been fulfilled and it was now changing? Wouldn't that stir within you emotion? Well, it certainly did more than stir up emotion. This discontent had actually riled up the religious leaders and their discontent had grown now to the point of hatred. They began murmuring and muttering under their breath. Let's kill them. Let's get rid of them. Let's put a stop to this nonsense. They were willing to kill. It wasn't just a discontent. It was an evil hatred. They were imposing the death penalty on others. In fact, they were eager to kill and imprison anyone that they had an opportunity to find or catch. We're going to take some time now and read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard a sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. As we come back to the story, do you see the feelings of emotions that the people were dealing with? Perhaps you think in your own heart, there are apologies that I need to make. I've just read this radical story that has taken place about Saul. And I think to myself, am I feeling this type of anger or hatred towards others? Maybe there's someone that you feel that you need to minister to today. But I want to dive in a little bit deeper. Is there any resentment or bitterness that you've let grow and even fester in your own heart? Things that you have tried to keep under the surface, but sometimes they come out above the surface. Are there anything in your life that you say to yourself, Lord, I need to get right with you. I need to address these issues. I want you to imagine Saul. You see, do you think anyone was advising him to go a different way? Do you think anyone was telling him to stop persecuting the believers those that followed the way, those Christians. I don't think anyone was telling him not to. 
In fact, people were giving him full support. They were encouraging him to do so. We learn later in Saul's journey that he was a religious leader. He was highly educated, and he was, would have been considered an elite religious leader. He was deeply devoted and highly reputable. So the fact that everyone was telling him he was doing the right thing, and then we read this story, can you imagine what has just taken place? He hears the voice of Jesus, this dead man, this guy that's not supposed to be around anymore. And he tell, he's told from this dead man, why are you persecuting me? Can you fathom what that would sound like? And then to be struck with blindness, to fall on your face knowing that you have heard the voice of God. And your friends standing beside you are in awe because they heard, but they didn't see. It says that Saul saw a blinding light, and then he was blinded. I'm in utter amazement of how God chose to reveal himself to Saul. I don't know why he chose this route. We don't really get an explanation. But we do know from further on in the story when Ananias is told to go and speak with him, that God has a very specific pointed plan for Saul's life. And he's going to be a kingdom mover. He's going to be somebody who's going to advance the word about Jesus Christ. And so God got very pointed with him and spoke with him directly. So as you see this story, I don't want you to, to needlessly worry or, or have anxiety about some sin that's in your past. But I also do want you to pause in your own heart and think about something that maybe is raising to the surface that you need to address. One of the joys of being online is that you can hit pause. If you feel like something is within you prompting you to respond, I believe that's the Holy Spirit telling you, be changed, do the right thing, love your neighbor, ask for forgiveness. Make right the thing that you have broken or the relationship that you have strained. So if you feel that prompting, please pause. You don't even have to come back to this sermon. The kingdom work that could take place in that moment would have so much more impact than just hearing another sermon. My hope is that you're right with God, restored to fellowship with God. And from there, God can work through you because you're a moldable heart that wants to move for God. You know, as silly as that wake-up call story was that I shared at the very beginning, I want us to consider the, a wake-up call in our own life as we continue forward. What would a wake-up call look like to you? If you're like me, you, you may have a similar thing that you don't like waking up early or you don't like being startled uh, into the, uh, to a wake up. I know my wife, I, I feel bad for her. I, I startle easily and I don't like to be startled when I'm sleeping. And perhaps you're like me and you're just not a morning person. But I think spiritually speaking, there are points in our life when we need to be jostled. We need to be awoken to the realities and the truths of the things that we need to make some correction in. There are elements of our lives that need to get better. 
not just for our own sake, not a selfish matter, but because we want to be growing closer to God. We should be walking closer hand in hand with God. The sanctification process, my desire is that we're always growing closer in our fellowship, our love, and our actions for God. I love this story about Saul because he is truly woken up to something new. Yes, he's struck with blindness. And yes, he's directly communicated by and with Jesus. You see, Jesus, God, was aware of what Saul had been doing. He had seen his attacks on people, his holding of the coats. He had seen Saul do these things that were evil, these actions that were so corrupt and so awful. But when he was woke up, I see this and I think to myself, wow, God had a big plan for for Saul, soon to be Paul. I mean, he writes a majority of the New Testament. His journeys changed the good news and how far and wide it went. And it wasn't because we want to worship Paul. It was because God wanted to work through Paul. To, to tell people about real life. As we see Saul, he doesn't eat for three days. He, is, he doesn't eat or drink. He's waiting on God to do something because that's what he's told. And you see that Ananias goes to, to Saul to heal him. But he also is told that you need to go heal him because this man is going to take the good news to the world to the Gentiles, to kings. He is going to take this good news to the Israelites. And as the scales fall off, and we see that Saul is changed, he immediately gets baptized. And I want us to jump into the story here today. So Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. Isn't this fascinating? This man who went around killing people who proclaimed that Jesus was the real deal, that real life could be experienced in fellowship with Jesus, and that the Holy Spirit would fall upon you if you believe. He's proclaiming the exact same message. God got a hold of his heart, molded his heart, forgave his wicked and corrupt ways. And now he was preaching and proclaiming that good news to the point that now those who would have been side by side with him, imprisoning others and killing others are now muttering and murmuring for his head. They want to take him out. Let's keep reading 28 through 31. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. 
When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him to, away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. And I'm pausing there today. I debated doing the whole chapter, but that's quite an undertaking. As I'm reading this, though, we see that the good news is changing people's lives. And I want us to pause in the end here on this newfound courage and this re-earning of trust that Saul has to go on the journey of accomplishing. You see, the scales, both literally and um, spiritually, fell off of his eyes, but I believe they fell off of his heart. He was, he was given his sight again, and God blesses him in a way that is unfathomable. But isn't God's grace so merciful and wonderful that it is available to us? This same grace that is extended to Saul is available for you and I. The same things that he did, the hatred in his heart, the killing of others, the anger that he had, and he thought it was righteous anger, but it wasn't for God's glory. It was about the law. And the law can't forgive us. The, the law can't clean us up. I'm going to probably mess up this quote, but there's a thought that I read about this week, and it said, the law is like a mirror. It only reflects. But God is so much greater than the law. If the law is like a mirror, it can't clean you up. It can only reveal your brokenness. So my prayer is that you would understand how God wants to clean you up. Those scales to fall off in your life. And he was telling Saul that I don't want you to be a judge and a jury anymore. I don't want you to go around killing people. I want you to point people to life, real life. You know, if I continually walk around pro proclaiming laws and rules and ways to best satisfy the government, I am a voice that is not heard. If I keep yelling from the streets of how people ought to live, why would people even bother to notice me? But if I live, and if I really live, living boldly with my selflessness, living, loving and living in a way that it loves people beyond what they have earned or deserve. Because what kind of love do I really earn or deserve? If I love people, that means that I'm showing the love of Christ because we can't earn this type of love. It's unmerited favor. It is grace that is hard to comprehend because it's God's type of love. Richly caring for those that are lesser than me. If I'm pointing people towards the path of life, towards joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, that's the kind of life I want to point people towards. But they need to see it in me. That is contagious and it is good. People need to see this, this type of lifestyle within me and in, within me those that... Uh, proclaim to be Christians. 
Loving our neighbor is never frowned upon. We often worry that we won't say something right or do something right. But I would hope that you would rather contemplate of how you, and even dream of how you can seek to love others more fully. When was the last time you gave a gift to them just because you wanted to see someone smile? You see, the joy wasn't in the price tag, whatever it may have cost you. The, the joy, the richness came in the knowledge that they would be receiving a pure and kind deed and that they would feel appreciated and loved. That's why you give gifts. But God's gift is way bigger than that. It's a gift of love for you because he wants to clean up your heart. He wants those scales to fall off so that he can start to put you back together as the child of God that he created you to be, fully loving, fully caring, and full of grace, his grace, because of his love for you. That's the kind of change that I pray for that we would, we would have a wake-up call, myself included, but as a church as a whole, that we would wake up together, our scales would fall off of our old sinful ways and habits, and we would see a miraculous spiritual healing that takes place, and that everyone who is desperate for hope and change and life-giving fulfillment would find it in Jesus Christ and the love that he extends so freely to us. Today, I pray that you have this, and I pray that you would be so bold to believe that this is possible and available for you. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good, and your grace is beyond measure, and your love extends to the worst of sinners, myself included. And today, I say thank you for loving me and for forgiving me. And if there's anyone out there that has not experienced your love and has not experienced those scales falling off and has not experienced what true, real life looks like, you would break through their hard heart. You would reveal your mercy to them. You would reveal their grace that you can only you can extend. You would chip off all of the old purify them and help them to see you as Lord and Savior and that they would believe in you and your Holy Spirit would be evidently indwelling within them. Thank you, Jesus, that you can do this work and we trust you and we praise you. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Newburgh Friends Church. It's been a joy and a pleasure to be with you this morning.